Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. From 1968 to 1973, the public television variety show Soul, guided by enigmatic producer and host Ellis Hazlip, offered an unfiltered and uncompromising celebration of Black literature, poetry, music, and politics, voices that had few other options for national exposure, and as a result, found the program an improbable place to call home, among the first to provide expanded images of the African-American on television, shifting the gaze from inner city poverty to the violence and to the vibrancy of the Black arts movement. It's a remarkable documentary film. I love this film. The film is called Mr. Soul, and we're joined today by the director, producer, writer, and that would be Melissa Hazlip. Melissa, welcome to Film School Radio. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be back. Thank you. Well, I'm, I, yes, I'm so thrilled you came back, and also congratulations on the overwhelmingly um, loving uh, reception the film has received. We were talking a little bit before we started. And also for the nomination on the shortlist for best song, uh, Show Me Your Soul. Uh, congratulations. That's uh, Robert Glasper and Layla Hathaway. Layla Hathaway, the yeah. daughter of Donnie Hathaway. Well, congratulations on that and the love you've received for them from this film. Let's start at the beginning. What caused you, what created the impetus for you to want to uh, make Mr. Soul? Well, you know, I've wanted to make this film my entire life, you know, having a deep personal connection to the story, which I've actually lived. And um, Ellis Hazel, of course, was my uncle, but he was more like a spirit animal. He was my spirit animal. He was a huge inspiration, but not just to me, to many others. And I was a little girl when Ellis lived with us on the Upper West Side of Manhattan while he was making the Soul Show. So I was a little bit too young to go there, but he would come home at night. And I remember eating oatmeal and strawberries with him and his magical coterie of friends that he would bring home from the tapings. It turns out they were some of the artists who appeared on the show. They'd come to our apartment every night and hang out. And, you know, I think somehow that influenced me. I would come running out in my little footy pajamas and, you know, <laughs> Uncle Ellis, Uncle Ellis, and then dive under the table so my parents could snatch me and put me back in bed where I belong, you know, at midnight. Um, and little did I know, you know, it'd be years before I would learn that it was James Earl Jones who pinched my cheek or, or Clifton Davis and Melba Moore, because Ellis Hazep also produced that show, the Melba Moore Clifton Davis show, or the children of Malcolm X, the late Malcolm X, because um, Ellis was, would bring them over for a play date for me because he was also my babysitter. And he would bring Betty Shabazz over to hang out with him because there was automatically children and we could look after and hang out with the children, which was really important after uh, yeah. Malcolm had been assassinated. It was a very difficult time. So this experience was really profound for me growing up. And then Ellis Hazel became my mentor. I was the artist in the family. You know, my folks wanted me to become a lawyer or do something in academic world, but I immediately veered off <laughs> into the land of the arts. And Ellis mentored me, took me to every show, every Broadway show. He introduced me to people. I got to hang out with him and just be the ears and just listen. And I think I inadvertently 
you know, became the, the keeper of his stories and his secrets. And I, I held on to that. Yeah. And so years later, when I realized after he had passed and recognizing what an impact he'd had on so many careers and not, not to mention being a pioneer in television, I thought, somebody's got to tell the story. Not only is it a remarkable story about the time period and the era and kind of a, a time capsule, but it's also a love letter to Black culture, Black love, Black strength, Black sister and brotherhood, Black power, and this really unique moment in time that resonates today. So I thought I kind of have this unique, I'm uniquely positioned to tell this story because of the family connection and the history, but also having grown up with him and seeing uh, how he moved through the world and how he pushed the culture forward. So yeah, I decided to take it on and built an incredible team. And 10 years later, here we are. <laughs> here you are. Well, and as you described, um, Ellis, that is what he appears to be from the film for so many other people as well. This seems to be one of the his callings in life was to introduce people to each other, yes. to bring yes. people together who may not have ever even known the other one existed. And then they embark on these wonderful moments together, which we see in Mr. Soul. Mm-hmm. For a man who was reluctant, I don't know if reluctance is the right word, but- Oh, no, that's pretty accurate. He was definitely a reluctant host. <laughs> well, oh, that's, you knew, okay, you knew where I was going, Real, a reluctant host, but he yes. had all of the, the the characteristics of this spirit guide. I think of a pretty apt descri- description of him. I think he yeah. he loved bringing people together and, and allowing them their own space to create and to do what they do well. Yeah, you know, Ellis Hayseth was faithfully committed to pushing the culture forward. And when yeah. I say faithful, I mean, he was just in love with our Blackness and and the myriad talent and, and politic of Blackness, you know, bringing that to the forefront, that was what was really important to me. And I really feel that his story is so important right now. The time for his Ellis Hayes' voice is now. It's an excellent reminder of why it's so important to have Black artists you know, and, key, and Black people in key decision-making roles throughout the media industry and why our stories, especially told by our people matter now more than ever. Yeah. Well, the, the let's go back to the the origin story for the show Soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, it ran on WNET, which was a PBS outlet yes. in New York. And Yes, uh, WNET is like a flagship PBS station here in New York. Okay, so how how did it start? Who who it was his idea? Tell us a little bit about how it came to be. Well, Ellis Hayslip was a very unique individual, and he came from D.C. He grew up in Washington, D.C. After graduating from Howard, he moved to New York, and he began working as a producer and a stage manager, a lot of professional theater productions, um, including, I have to say, because she just joined the Ancestors, the debut performance that launched the career of Cicely Tyson, our queen. Um, this was a show called The Dark of the Moon, which was produced up at the Harlem YMCA and really launched many careers. Also, um, Clarence Williams III, James Earl Jones, Roscoe Lee Brown. So it was a very special production, that one, Dark of the Moon in 19, I think that was 1957. Wow. And so Ellis Hazel was really had his finger on the pulse of what was happening in the theatrical community. He then went on to go to Europe where he produced the very first European tour of James Baldwin's play, 
the Amen Corner. He also produced plays and a musical um, review of Marlena Dietrich and did a lot of really interesting things that were available to him in Europe as opposed to post Jim Crow civil rights on the heels of civil rights in America. When he came back, he was very connected and really the soul show emerged at a time uh, that was where the country was really reeling from the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. It became an opportunity after the Kerner Commission report revealed that the nation was divided, you know, into two countries almost, one black and one white, and the media was largely responsible for this. And so the notion that, that much of the media was so focused on inner city poverty and violence, there needed to be another type of show or another type of voice or type of expression and, and public media, which was just being born at the time after the Public Broadcasting Act, became the perfect platform for that. So it's kind of like a brief harmonic convergence. You had uh, Kit Lucas, Christopher Lucas, who was uh, in charge of cultural programming at WNET. You had Ellis Hazlip, who was out and about doing all these important things. And this, the birth of sort of freedom of expression and inclusion was about to pop off on public television. And there was Ellis Hazlip uniquely positioned to sort of lead it all. And so Soul sort of countered, was created at, at first to be like a Black Tonight Show, but really it couldn't be that because we all knew that the model of the Tonight Show was charming host, yeah. do a couple of monologues, bring some dancing <laughs> and dance, and then everyone goes to bed happy with a few jokes. Soul needed to be different. Soul yeah. needed to not only a vehicle for African-American artistry, but a platform for political expression and this fight for social justice. So that trifecta was not something that we knew and was not something that existed heretofore on television anywhere. Yeah. And that's what makes Soul so unique. You have to understand the landscape of television and what it interrupted. Soul was trying really hard to counter the programming that already existed and amplify the voices of the black arts movement, which was celebrating both black artistry and culture, you know, within this multi-global diasporic black consciousness that was emerging. And so soul was uniquely positioned to kind of be a new window into this experience. Not that the black experience was new, but visibility right. of it was and creating an opportunity for artists to be seen is what was so revolutionary about soul and Ellis Hazlett. For me, the word that comes back watching it is relevant. It was relevant to its time and, yeah. and how much of what was said and what was um, performed the songs, the poets, the the staging of the dance recitals was all very relevant and yeah. and timeless. I mean, I what strikes me so much about watching Mr. Soul, the things you said about the media dividing the country up. Well, that's mm -hmm. we have another version of that now. Oh yeah. And also the politics of race, the politics of poverty. The oh, there's so many things in this film that feel like it it should be pr being produced today as as well and I, I know there are many more outlets many more opportunities for us to understand each other 
culturally and politically, that show was just so, so immediate and so, uh, so present, I guess. I don't know. I'm struggling exactly the right words here, but is that the way? Yeah, is that correct? Accurate. Yeah. I think that's pretty accurate. It was really of the moment, but it's also very, very relevant today. Yeah. And that's why it's so exciting to be premiering the film right now and to be out in this moment that we're experiencing sort of, you know, the nation, the United States being on the verge of a racial reckoning. I really feel that the time for Ellis Hazek's voice is now, you know, we're looking deeply at issues of systemic racism, inclusion, representation, reparation. And we are having these conversations about where we want our country to go and how we might get there together. And in order to get there, you know, it's tremendously important to to have these kinds of discussions and to also look at our past and to see how far we've come and yet recognize how far we need to go. And this film definitely sits squarely in that space and holds space for not just a look back and, and kind of a feel good kind of retro vibe, but really give us a sense of the, that we are all standing on the shoulders of giants and we can all learn so much from this moment and to also look at our you know quiet revolutionaries from another era and how they responded to that to their world since the parallels are so immediate the film again is called mr soul the the website is mrsoulmovie.com you can go there and find out more about the film you can also find out how to watch the film it's currently available in virtual cinema any other ways or platforms that we should be aware of that where they can watch? Oh, Mr. yes. One thing that's really exciting is that there is a version of the film uh, that's been shortened a little bit, but it's the PBS version, which is now available to stream for free on pbs.org. You can okay. find it there. It, it aired on PBS on Independent Lens last okay. week. And so it's streaming for free for a month and then it'll be, you can catch it on the PBS app as well. And that's okay. very exciting. Yeah. It's a little bit shorter than the theatrical version because obviously we had to fit it into a broadcast time slot, but it's, it's wonderful to you know, have this 50 year almost anniversary yeah. to bring the film back to PBS where it started. Kind of like a homecoming, yeah. uh, definitely a full circle moment. Very exciting. Yeah, and there are so many performances, there's so many performers. Uh, I it's it's it is remarkable. And what what I really love about the film is this mixture of as I mentioned earlier poetry and dance and music and politics and and, and the interviews are amazing. The people who are on the show, I'll just run through a very brief list. Trust me, there's a lot more cool in the gang, Stevie Wonder, Tito Fuentes, Max Roach, Al Green, Bill Withers, Stokely Carmichael, Harry Belafonte, Sidney Portier, Kathleen Cleaver, Betty Shabazz, you mentioned her, uh, James Baldwin, Jesse Jackson. These are people that were on the program. Just a remarkable, the mother of George Jackson, Georgia, Georgia Jackson. It, Don't forget it, Nikki Giovanni, because that conversation she had with James Baldwin has now gone viral on yes. Instagram and all the social media. And nobody really knows what it is, but it's having such an impact. It's very exciting to see people engaging with this content in a way that's really contemporary and they're not sort of looking at it as sort of a mythical, you know, retro kind of unicorn. 
but they're just thinking, wow, look at James Baldwin in conversation with Nikki Giovanni and everything they're saying is completely relevant. Absolutely. Um, That's very, very exciting to me to see people engaging with the material that way. And then it's surprising for them to realize that that actually happened on Soul. Yeah. Those were two friends of Ellis Hayslip and he brought them together in London to take this, this conversation in 1971. That sounds like something, a conversation we even had last summer during the whole, you know, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, and, and beyond, you know, the conversations we have every night with our families about being black in America, black love, black strength, you know, going to work and having to code switch and, and dealing with being sort of a, having a double consciousness all the time and an awareness of our blackness and, and what that means and how that's evolving so much since last summer. So it's just really exciting to see. And I'm so proud of the work that we've done and the fact that we have this wonderful song that is really so symbolic of the themes in the film. It's called Show Me Your Soul. And it's written by Robert Glasper and Layla Hathaway. And it's just so dynamic and so moving. And we're about to release the video today. Um, So it's just really exciting to share that music as well and have it be emblematic of, you know, here you have Layla Hathaway, who's the first daughter of soul. And the song plays at the end of the film during the credits. But who do you hear in the beginning of the film? But her father, Bonnie Hathaway. So we get to book in this sort of journey of black music, of black people, of our culture, of our whole nation, really. Black history is American history, right? And so you have this extraordinary moment of Donnie Hathaway bookended with Layla Hathaway. And so we're going to be releasing the song very soon. And it's, it's just really exciting to have a Layla who represents the legacy of Saul. Yeah. And we can see that, you know, these are seeds that were planted 50 years ago and they're still bringing forth fruit today. It's the conversations in this film that, um, that Ellis is so, that are so compelling to me. Those conversations with poets, with, with actors, with activists. And you mentioned Nikki and James Baldwin, Nikki Giovanni and James Baldwin. That is for me, I hadn't heard James Baldwin speak that much before. He's been, I think he was on Dick Cavett a couple of times, but in terms of what I saw of James Baldwin before I saw this film, that is so amazingly prescient. And it's just a remarkable conversation. I, I just, yeah, it, it really blows is. me away, really. I like to say it's like the high watermark of the series. And you know that it was actually uh, transcribed into uh, what became a book that was published. And that's really rare. You know, James Baldwin was doing other conversations at that time, I believe, sitting down with artists and other literary luminaries like, you know, uh, Margaret Mead. This two-part episode was so, so symbolic and so um, significant that they transcribed it and it was published as a book. It's called James Baldwin, Nikki Giovanni, A Dialogue. And it's now a very rare book. You can get your copy of it on Amazon, but it'll set you back at least (laughs) between four hundred and four thousand dollars. Wow. But I have my copy, which my I God. and it looks like it's pretty it looks like it's a first edition, so that's why. But okay. how, how remarkable is that? That you that know, is. you have proof that what, what what's changes that were happening on the show were so significant that they would have lasting value enough to be considered, you know, worthy of of, of a published form. 
Looks like you've tagged a lot of pages on the, in that book. Oh yeah. I've got a lot of notes here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the book form is a slightly different. It was edited and by choice and by the authors and the people, you know, the, the, watching him mentor in some way, Nikki, as, as they're talking about uh, yes. writing and a lovely energy. It is just an amazing, it's an amazing thing. But the music. And the fact that they got to sit down at all, you know, sort of this iconoclast moment before iconoclast became a thing. Remember that show where people would be juxtaposed with their idol or, or yeah. whoever inspired them the most? Yeah. That was from what, the 90s, I guess that show. Yeah, that sounds right. And, and I think this was a precursor to that. You know, he was, Ellis Hazup was an Afrofuturist. You know, he, he saw the future and the future for our culture, for our nation. And the idea of what would be important one day, even if, if, even if we weren't ready for it, or the zeitgeist wasn't ready for it. And that moment really is a shining example of that. And she still talks about it, Nikki Giovanni, to this day. Easy to believe that because, because it's like meeting her, her, her idol. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful part. There's there's so much in this film. Uh, I want to remind our listeners we're talking with the, <clears throat> with the director, producer, and writer of the documentary film, Mr. Soul, and that would be Melissa Hazlip. The reaction to the film, if you go to the website, mrsoulmovie.com, you'll see that it's been screening for six, seven months. It's been in virtual theaters. It keeps, people keep coming back to it. In terms of the reaction that you've received as a filmmaker and just on people who write you or whatever, what's the reaction been? It's been really fantastic. It's, it's revelatory for so many people, even people who are consider themselves to be either super woke or, you know, culturally savvy or historically sound and accurate. You know, it's they're like two camps. There's the camp of people who I have to tell them it's the greatest show they never heard of. <laughs> and they're completely baffled by the fact that they don't know about it, even like top, top music executives and people like that who are like steeped in the culture. And then there's the other camp of people who have seen it, maybe lived it, and they've been waiting for it to come back and waiting to sort of demythologize this show and, and be reunited with some of their favorite um, television appearances of their idols and such. But it's definitely two camps. And it's always fun because even for both, there's room for discovery. And that is what I love about the film, that the film can bring you to your own discovery at whatever level of this show and the meaning of it and these extraordinary performances. It's, it's really a gift. And it's a gift that keeps on giving because we've rolled it out quite slowly. It's had a very organic groundswell. And we've been nominated for many awards now, and we've won several Critics' Choice Awards. We're now nominated for three NAACP Image Awards and Cinema Eye Awards. And so for us, really, the nominations and all of the acknowledgement is just another way for us to just be really happy about sharing this information, you know? And I think that that's really key as well, that it's not about winning. It's certainly not about clout chasing or anything like that, but making the film really helped us illuminate the groundbreaking cultural work of what we consider to be the man who was behind one of the most successful and socially significant Black produced television shows in U.S. history. You know, so we're beyond honored to 
received these acknowledgements of the work and we're excited about any nominations that will serve as a way of, you know, introducing the film, the music, the man himself, Ellis Hazlip, to the world. I think Ellis Hazlip has been an unsung hero for too long. And we hope that our film, Mr. Soul, and the music celebrated in it will help to change that. Well, congratulations. I, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan. Thank you so much. It's so great to chat with you and just get the word out. We are DIY, so we are. We are all follow us on Instagram, Twitter, (laughs) Facebook at Mr. Soul the Movie and help us spread the word because it's completely organic. You know, we are the literally the epitome of the independent filmmaker. So that's just really wonderful to be able to share about the show and about the story and the film. Well, go to MrSoulMovie.com. That's a good place to start. And from there, you can chase down how to see it, more about the film, and spreading the word and letting other people know. I'm so looking forward to your future work, Melissa. Uh, This is, again, the film, Mr. Soul, director, producer, writer, Melissa Hazlip. Thank you again. And thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Film School Radio.